Welcome to From a Woman to a Leader, a podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and providing tips for women in tech leadership. Hi, I'm your host, Limor Bergman-Gross, and in each episode, we'll hear from other successful women in tech, sharing their stories, insights, and advice. Join us as we empower each other to reach our full potential in the tech industry. everyone and welcome to From a Woman to a Leader. And today we have a very, very interesting topic. It is three barriers holding women back from the C-suite and how to overcome them. And I'm super excited to host Emma Weiner. And Emma is an expert voice coach and advocate for female leaders and she will share her insights and experiences on what holds women back, and more importantly, what they can do about it. So tune in for that. Uh, Emma, just a little bit about Emma. Uh, She had a gloriously squiggly career starting in pharmaceutical sales, then training as a speech and language therapist. And after a short and sweet affair with the NHS, she became operational the operations director in a successful event, event business before finding her true passion and training as voice coach at the prestigious Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And she brings the wealth of all that knowledge to help women raise their visibility and credibility at work by amplifying their ability to be heard and cultivating thoughtful leadership in both the corporate and entrepreneurial worlds. Hi, Emma. How are you today? Hi, Lemur. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. And let's start with uh, kind of if you can tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and how your journey led you to become a voice coach and advocate for women in leadership. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I I trained originally as a speech and language therapist. So very clinical, real sort of scientific, rigorous training. And I loved it. I worked with children. But I and I say this very uncomfortably, I did not work. I did not enjoy working in our healthcare system in the UK. And it's amazing. It really is. It just wasn't for me. So I left and I joined a startup and I I loved it. We were running events for pharmaceutical companies. So my sort of semi-medical knowledge was really handy. And I loved it. I loved it. And I got to work with speakers. And but I always felt that when I was working with the speakers on events, I really felt that someone was going to come tap me on my shoulder and say, "Mm, you don't really know what you're talking about, do you? Now, this is like 30 years ago. So I didn't really know about imposter syndrome at the time. Clearly, I mean, I had a raging case of it, but didn't know it. And then I had my kids and I I thought, I don't want to keep doing this travel, but I love working with speakers. So I went and did a master's degree in um, voice coaching and training at Central School of Speech and Drama. Completely transformational. Hardest thing I've ever done. My daughter was only three. It was really challenging, but it was completely transformational. And that's where I kind of really refound my voice and found a passion for working with women to help them really show up vocally, physically, and with like real spot on messages. That's wonderful. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you overcome the challenges. You mentioned that having kids, you know, 
And on top of that, confidence issues. How how did you overcome those challenges yourself? Yeah, it was a really interesting one. I mean, so I I had two children, had two very, very complicated medicalized pregnancies, and between the two children, had five miscarriages in a row. And I went from being operations director to being in charge of this little bundle for which there is no manual. <laughs> Everybody's got an opinion how you do how you do this. Everybody's opinion is different and nothing seems to work. And I found that really, really challenging. And then my confidence was really knocked with the miscarriages. You know, I really found I fell into that space of I can't even do what women's bodies are designed to do. And I didn't have the structure of work of work anymore. I didn't have the identity of being operations director anymore. And I found like I just felt like I was flailing around and I really lost my confidence. I lost I didn't want to speak up. I didn't feel like I had anything to really offer, even in sort of friendship conversations. And I just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I but I noticed this. It was a very weird. I was in it and kind of watching it at the same time. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't want this. And when I had my daughter my second child I was like I really I need to get this sorted because I don't want to be that model for her which is when I found out about the voice coaching and training master's degree and thought that's it that's what I'm going to do and it's really interesting because I went into it thinking I'll get the master's and then I'll be an expert because I'll have the I'll have the degree then I'll have the label then I'll be an expert and what was really interesting is I did the master's came out and thought right I need to do a PhD because then I'll be an expert and my husband kind of looked at me and went, no, <laughs> this has been quite a challenge for the family. Do you really want to do a PhD? And actually, I started working and it was the process of working and teaching where I realized I'm an expert. I don't need the label. I don't need a PhD in order to be an expert. That's That comes from how I think and feel about myself and the, the value that I deliver to people. So, yeah, it was a really interesting journey. And I see this so often with women, this PhD syndrome. Oh, wow. So what do you see in women? What do you think are the main obstacles that prevent women from getting to executive roles in tech and in general? Yeah. So I guess I guess the way you would see it, so the way it sort of might show up in the workplace, there's two things that you'd see quite often. And the first thing is physicality. So as you know, we've all been socialized to be smaller, smaller. Now, most of us would say, okay, well, that doesn't really affect me anymore. I, you know, my family have encouraged me to be big and speak up and do all those things. But actually, we would be surprised at how unconsciously we've taken in and show up with a slightly smaller body. So for most leaders, it's situational. So it might be that topic, that person, or this particular scenario. And we do things like we just slightly roll our shoulders in. Now, I'm, I'm rolling my shoulders in so your podcast listeners won't be able to see this. But if I slightly roll my shoulders in, you start to get a little crease on your shirt. And it just means our body posture is slight, just very slightly, subtly shrunk. Now, because of the way our brains work, the oldest bit of our brain, the reptilian bit of our brain, reads the body language and goes, OK, lower status. Because we're always kind of positioning people, right? Unconsciously, we'll be working out the hierarchy in the room. So if in any way we are making our body push, I noticed you just sat up straight now. Yeah, I'm just there. Uh, okay. I'm sitting straight right now. Yeah. So if we make our body posture smaller by rolling our shoulders in, a really classic one is crossing our feet. 
I I just been to a conference in Amsterdam and there were many women presenting. It was about 16, 17 women presenting over a couple of days. I would say 70% of them had their feet crossed in when they were presenting. It's a way of making ourselves smaller, having our arms crossed, or when we're gesturing, having our elbows stuck to the sides of our body. So we're doing like T-Rex gesturing. All of that indicates to your watchers, your listeners, that you aren't comfortable taking up space. So it automatically lowers your status in the room. Regardless of what you know, even before you've spoken, you'll be positioned as a lower status in the room. Now, when it comes to interviewing and being seen as potential to get in the C-suite, that's really important. How you're perceived is really important on that unconscious or subconscious level by the rest of the, the group. Wow. I haven't thought about that, but yeah, so basically you're saying like noticing the, the physical presence, right? How how women stand or sit and talk, what they do with their hands, you know, probably their voice too, right? I mean, the tone of voice, the volume. Uh, I mean, we can we can get we can get on to that but breath yeah the voice the, the words we use absolutely but the, the body posture is a really interesting one because it is it's like the biggest bit of us as it were and it's the bit that your brain just reads e- easily automatically quickly before you've even spoken so so that is really really important and the thinking of one of my clients so she's quite a small lady she's very petite and she's not very tall she's got a very big towering CEO and he tends to get quite sort of directive and she was found she was having to challenge him on a couple of things that things that needed to happen in the business and she realized that her body posture as he was saying no we can't do this no you can't he was her body posture was shrinking and so often her content would get tabled or it would would just kind of get you know she wouldn't get the yeses that she wanted or needed and when we realized that was what was going on, she was then able to kind of deliberately, very intentionally hold her position and hold her posture. And she was beginning to find that actually she was getting more and more agreement or at least an agreement to get it discussed at the next meeting. And then actually what happened was she was elevated up to the senior leadership team, all by working on how she was presenting her physicality. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Now, you mentioned crossing the legs. I mean, I cross my legs all the time when I sit. So what should we do? We should not cross our legs when we're sitting. Sitting, absolutely fine. I'm talking about when you're presenting. So when you stand up to present, if you cross your feet over, so instead of standing with your feet hip width apart, you're standing with them crossed over, or even so that they're touching side by side, it just makes our whole physicality smaller. Okay, when standing up, not when sitting down. No. Okay. Yeah. So what other obstacles? So you mentioned the physical, right? How we stand. Yeah. What else? Well, the second thing that kind of leads on from that body posture, and that there's a reason why both these things happen, and we can go back to that later, but is the language that we use. So have you heard of hedging language? No. Okay. So we hedge language when we are uncertain. So we might say, I think such and such, or can I just interrupt here? Uh, actually, I'm not sure this is true. Can you see how we use actually just and I think they soften the sentence, they soften the impact, rather than this is not the right direction for us. Or uh, can you re-explain? I want to know more about X, Y, and Z. Can you just go over what you've just said again, rather than, you know, I'm not sure I understood that. Can you see the difference when you say I'm not sure I understood that? compared to 
Can you just go over that again? I want to understand X point better. I said just there. See, it's it's so ingrained in us because we're trying to, women want to work collaboratively. Mm-hmm. Don't want to take up too much space. And we there's a concern that we may appear too direct, too uh, assertive in a scenario. Aggressive. They yeah, call us aggressive. They do. They do. So we hedge our language and it makes us much makes us it makes that status differential higher again we're putting that other person in a more superior position and we're we're sort of de-escalating where we sit in the scenario the classic one that you hear people do all the time and I was totally guilty of this when I was in a corporate structure is you know you say you see somebody that you need to have a conversation with and you say oh I'm so sorry can I just grab you for five minutes so we've apologized I'm sorry can I just grab you for five minutes I'm not going to take up too much of your time because you're m- way more important than I am there's so many levels of kind of um putting ourselves in a lower position and the other elevating the status of the other person just in that tiny little sentence whereas if we rephrase that and say I need to talk to you about x shall we grab some time now or do we need to diarize something and suddenly we've elevated the status of the two of us and it's us against the issue the problem the thing we need to resolve rather than oh you know would you would you mind it's okay if I just grab you for a moment very very different and so that's just one teeny tiny example you can imagine how many times a day we use those kind of linguistic hedges and therefore position ourselves in a in a lower status yeah it's like apologizing Mm. apologizing for interfering apologizing for asking yeah that's kind of what I heard yeah so we're linguistically not taking up space so if we're not physically taking up space the chances of then linguistically taking up space is reduced because it follows on how we use our body kind of helps drive how we feel Mm. so the two things are very very linked so those are those are two really common things that I see that preventing women from being perceived as as being as competent as they are because there's a relationship in in our listeners watchers minds between how competent somebody is at speaking and how competent they are at their job there is no relationship right none there's no correlation at all except in our minds and so if our bodies and our language is saying i'm low status that is what the the sort of received perceived competence level will be so okay well yeah you are then and what's the third one so the third one is about mindset and the common thing you'll hear women say or if we can summarize it it's like a not enoughness piece so somebody might say I'm too young to get this promotion I haven't been doing this job long enough I'm too old not young enough I'm not smart enough I haven't been doing this long enough I don't have the PhD and everyone else in the you know has been doing not experienced enough so there's a you will often hear someone say I'm too something and you know that that is actually under the underlying feeling is they're not enough in some way or another Mm -hmm. and I think many women would relate to not feeling like you're enough of a partner enough of a mother enough of a colleague and enough of a parent of enough of a daughter whatever it might be we always feel we should be doing more, have more, as in have more qualifications, have more experience, have more time, whatever it might be. 
So that enoughness piece is huge. And everything you think, everything will leak out and leak into your body. Because if you think about, you know, you wake up and you're like, yeah, brilliant. It's a great day. It's Saturday. I get to do this or I'm going to go do something really fun. You know, you're going to leap out of bed. Your body posture is going to be strong and happy. If you're waking up and think, oh, gosh, I've got to do accounts today and it's not something you enjoy doing, your body posture will will replicate the thoughts into a, a body feeling. So if you're thinking you're not enough, body posture decreases, linguistics become hedged. Incredible. I mean, uh, just being aware of those things is so important. Now we're going to talk about what we actually need to do about it. (laughs) Interesting, the fun part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So always, 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 but just always, we have to start with a mindset piece because there is this lovely, there is biofeedback loop, right? That goes between your body, your brain, or your brain and your body. It can go both ways which is what makes my job really fun is because there's so many ways in. But for me, the first thing is clearing out that clutter. It's it's diving into the thought processes and going, okay, right, what rocks have I collected through life that have created a narrative for myself? So I'm not a techie person would be one of my narratives. That's that's a rock. I'm choosing to keep it because actually as, as a business owner, it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do the tech stuff. I absolutely want to outsource that. But I, that's a conscious decision. It's like, yeah, I don't do tech, but that's a conscious decision. But say I had a kind of a narrative, a rock that said you have to work really, really hard for at least 10 years before getting to the position that I want to get to. Right? That now dictates how I show up at work, how I work the hours that I work, the energy with which I work with, which is, you know, quite a tight energy. If you think about this, I've got to work really hard. I've got to be the first in the office, the last in the office. And it becomes this very tight held energy. And you've got this very sort of narrow focus on this goal over there. And it means you're probably not looking up, not looking at all the other opportunities that might be popping up left, right and center on that journey. So first thing, look at those rocks. Are they yours? Do you want to keep them? Did somebody hand them to you years ago? And you just went, okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll take that one and popped it in the bucket that you carry around filled with rocks. So first thing is look at all those narratives. What do I believe about myself that is a feeling and not a fact or that someone else has handed me that actually I don't need anymore? That's not true. I'll give you a really lovely example of that one. So I was working with a lady the other week and we were talking about, and she was like, I'm terrified of speaking in public, just really, really scared of it. And, and I said, OK, tell me about the last time you spoke. And she told me and it was a really good event. What about the time before? Really good event. I'm like, OK, so you've had two really good events very recently. Why are you f- so fearful of it? And she thought about it. And she's like, when I was 14, one of my teachers at school told me that I was a really bad presenter and that I, you know, was very nervous and didn't look very good on the stage. I still believe that. I'm like, okay, is that true anymore? And she's like, oh my gosh, no. And it was just almost like she kind of like scrumpled up the bit of paper with that nonsense on, chucked it away. And she was so much more confident. She's like, gosh, I can't believe I was carrying that around. So yeah, notice what you're carrying around, the narratives that are not true about you. That's definitely the first thing to do. It sounds easy, but I know it's not. (laughs) Both personally and from women that I work with. How do you find those? Because a lot of it is unconscious, right? I mean, it's different thoughts that we have. We're not consciously thinking about them. They're just there in our head. So how do we uncover those? Yeah, it's, I often say to people, it's like some of these thoughts have become 
you know, like that ugly furniture that you have in your house that's just been there forever and you sort of stop noticing it because it's just been there forever. You inherited it. Somebody gave it to you. You just kind of, it's in the corner. You don't notice it anymore. And then somebody points it out and you're like, oh God, yeah, it's really ugly. (laughs) Those mindsets are often like that. They're the ugly brain furniture. So one of the processes is just thinking about when you come to speak. So in those moments before you present, before you speak up in a team meeting, it's just having a quick kind of like, it's almost like a brain scan. You do a quick flash across your brain and kind of go, what am I thinking? And when you sort of, it's almost like catching yourself unawares. And then you, you suddenly start to notice these things. And the very first thing to do is if you notice it, don't judge yourself. The worst thing you can do is like you notice something you're saying you always mess it up when 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 your boss is in the room. You know, if you have a thought that which is oh, I always mess up when he's here, I'm really going to make a mistake. He's going to think I'm an idiot. Don't judge yourself for having that thought. Just go. Huh, interesting. And it's because if we judge ourselves for having a bad thought, we're now layering guilt on top of a thought that doesn't help us. And that kind of it's almost like it ingrains it further. It pushes it further down. Whereas if we notice it with curiosity and go, huh, interesting, where did that come from? We have a much greater chance of then beginning to unpick it. But it's those, it's like it is those moments of catching yourself unaware and just doing a little bit of deep thinking sometimes of, you know, just sitting with yourself and thinking, what what is it about this that I really don't like? What is it about this that's preventing me from asking for a promotion and being really honest with yourself with what comes up and not judging it? Absolutely. And uh, yes, so, and and as you mentioned, a lot of times it's our own internal beliefs and a lot of times it's someone else thinking, thinks about us and telling us what we can or cannot do. And a lot of times we believe them. Yeah. Yeah. One Uh, of the questions I often ask my clients is, is that a fact or a feeling? So, you know, we'll be having a conversation. I'm really bad at this. I'm like, okay, is that a fact? Have you got feedback? Is there evidence or is that just a feeling? And they'll often go, "Hmm, no, yeah, no, no evidence whatsoever. It's just a feeling like, interesting okay and sometimes that's all we need to say and we'll leave it for a little bit and then we'll come back to it later on but yeah that's a great question to ask yourself fact or feeling wonderful okay so let's say i uh, overcome this uh, i i chose which rocks to keep and which one to throw away now what now it's about filling up that bucket with that sense of enoughness so you know i said we spoke before about not feeling enough so now we need to refocus the lens right because our brains are wired to notice problems. It's what keeps us safe. It's what helps us, you know, pro- oh, what's the word? It's gone. To uh, pass on. That's the word. To pass on our genes. Okay. It keeps us safe. So we're designed to notice all the things that don't work. What we like to try and help people do is refocus that lens so they start to look at all the things that are already working. So when we start coaching people, and I'll say to them, they speak and I'll say, OK, brilliant. How do you feel is my first question. And then the second thing is, what did you do well? And I guarantee for the first five or six weeks of coaching, they will say, well, I didn't do this and I didn't pause and I didn't do that. And I didn't and laundry list, literal laundry list of all the things they've just done wrong. And I sit and I wait and I'm like, OK, good. What was the question? And they go, oh, oh, you asked me what I did well. And it's so interesting that the brain is so hardwired to go problem, 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 problem. So I really try to rewire to go, okay, what did I do well, first of all? Because every time we do that, we're filling up that bucket. We've taken out the rubbish rocks, keeping the ones we want. Now we're filling it with enoughness. We're filling it with a sense of actually, I'm already all right. 
without learning all these new things, I'm already doing a good job. I'm already great at all these things. And it's not unrealistic thinking. It's not sort of Pollyannery. I'm a legend in my living room. It's actually, this is really good. I'm already doing this. I have been, I've been doing this well for many years. And actually those are the things that have got me here. So get rid of the rubbish stuff, clear out the clutter, get rid of those rocks, then start to fill up with, actually, I'm all right. I'm doing okay. It rebalances that seesaw and it encourages us then to go, well, actually, maybe I could do this thing. Maybe I could ask that promotion. Maybe I could ask that pay rise. Maybe it is time to apply for that C-suite job because we're starting to feel like much more like we're enough. And then guess what happens? Body posture changes, breathing changes, voice changes, language changes. And suddenly we're showing up that 10% brighter, shinier, and our perceived competence starts to go up doing nothing else nothing different that's wonderful mm-hmm. now what can we do deliberately to really improve our you know physics and uh, how we basically how we show up and yeah. the wording and all that on top of what you mentioned okay so physically I think the first thing we can do is just practice taking up space so one of the things that I encourage women to do and one of the practices we have is it's a really simple one and it's great. It's actually going to work well on the podcast is you take your thumbs and you place them on like at the base of your neck on the, you know, the knobbly bits on your collarbone. You place them there and then just draw them out across your collarbone all the way out to the edges of your shoulders and just feel how wide you actually are. And if you want to go a bit further, you can just extend your arms out so you're in like a T and waggle your fingers and then just let your arms drop down. But don't let your shoulders drop in. Now you've got this lovely open chest, right? So you are suddenly taking up space. Does it feel different? Yeah, it feels great. By the way, for the listeners who don't see us, I yeah. have been practicing that right now. <laughs> We were doing it together. So now Lemore's chest is so much wider and open. Now, if you want to just make sure that you're coming across in a nice open way take your one hand doesn't matter left or right place it on the front of your chest and then just allow your chest to just to melt very slightly just a tiny bit there you go so now lemore has got this lovely open shoulders and chest but a really nice softness at the front Mm -hmm. so she looks like she's taking up space but she doesn't look like she's going into battle because we don't want to have that sort of aggressive right i'm taking the world on posture we want to like i'm here take me seriously posture So that's the first thing definitely, definitely to do. And then is to check in that you're breathing deeply, because often we will, if we're feeling anxious about asking for something or if we want to disagree, we can feel anxious. So just making sure that we're breathing, not in our chest so not in the upper part of the body, but just down, down in our bellies almost. You can't breathe in your belly, but the belly moves as we breathe deeply. So you can just take one hand, place it on your belly, but between your belly button below your belly button is actually the best place to to put it just see as you breathe in and out you should feel your tummy extending and contracting now if your breath is down here you cannot feel stressed it's binary so you're breathing deeply or you're stressed so if you're breathing in a shallow fashion your body then starts to pump out hormones that make you stress cortisol and adrenaline if you're breathing deeply the body can't release those hormones so Just making sure that you're breathing deeply will mean that your voice sounds strong and also you can think. So then you can formulate what you want to say so you don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, can I just, is it all right if, 
not sure if anybody else in the room didn't get that. Could could you just go over it again? So we stay away from those hedging sentences into that's really interesting. Can you just make X point again? So I really understand the nuance. Sounds so much stronger than yeah. I didn't get it. Could you do it again? So body, breath, thinking, speaking. Should I just uh, do it during? So when I feel, let's say I'm in a meeting and I have all those thoughts and I want to say something, but I'm really afraid of speaking up. So should I just start to practice this deep breathing during the meeting? Yeah, I mean, but the more you can do it. So if we do deep breathing as we're falling asleep and as we're waking up, so just you don't even need to do anything, right? Your body knows how to do this. It just does. What happens is our brains get in the way and then we stuff it up. So as you're falling asleep, your brain is is not interfering with your breathing patterns. As you're waking up, your brain is not interfering with your breathing patterns. So as you're sort of drifting, just put your, your hand on your belly and just notice how your body knows exactly what to do. As you're waking up, put your hand on your belly. Notice your body knows exactly what to do. So you're just repeating that little mantra. My body knows exactly how to breathe deeply. I don't need to interfere. I know how to do this. And, and if we do that, just even gently, a couple of times a week, every day if you can, in those meetings, all you need to do is, my body knows how to do this. I know how to breathe deeply. If breathing is your issue, if it's a kind of you're trying to perfect your idea before speaking it, it's like changing your thought pattern to something along the lines of, my idea imperfectly stated could be brilliant for this meeting. It could be the solution we're all looking for. It could be the jumping off point for someone else to solve this particular problem. So say something, say anything and say it imperfectly rather than say nothing and be perfecting it in your brain. So whatever mantra that you can come up with that makes sense to you and everybody will be slightly different, but speaking up is more important than being absolutely perfect or getting it completely correct. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And perfectionism is not a good quality to have. I remember, you know, in uh, interviewing, right? I mean, uh, there was this saying that, oh, if they ask you about uh, what are some of your drawbacks or, or, you know, things that you're not good at, you should say, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, I'm... I was still, I was working with some women last week and actually we were talking about that. It's like, you know, we were talking about leadership presence and, and how they can develop it more. And so one of the questions I asked them was like, could you work more hours? Could you perfect your work anymore? Could you, you know, take on more projects? And the answer was no, 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 no. It's like, well, doing more doesn't get you the promotion that you need because you've been doing that for years, right? And you still haven't got the promotion that you wanted or thought you are due at this stage. It's about who we're being. So there is no leader out there. There's nobody in charge in anybody's co- of any company anywhere who is a perfectionist. They're just because the company would stagnate. It would never get anywhere if we were led by perfectionists. So perfection is not what's going to get us where we want to go. Perfectionist in, in women has really come from education, right? The harder we worked, the more perfect our essays were, the higher our scores were. So that was our form of praise. And so we were like, oh, right, this is how I get noticed. So we do that. And then we go into the world of work. And guess what? Doesn't work in the same way. And so we're still trying to do this education thing of like, well, look, 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 look how perfect my deck is. Look how perfect my answer is. Look how beautifully structured it is. And they're like, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Because we're not being 
the person who's taking a little bit of risk and saying something that may be imperfect and it's as I say either the solution or a jumping off point for someone else in the room so yeah absolutely Oh, Emma, this has been incredible and you gave so much value and so many tips. I want to kind of, uh, before we end this, kind of if you want to share, how can women reach out to you and what, what else do you have going on that our audience should know about? Yeah, absolutely. So LinkedIn is where I hang out most of the time. So come, I post every day. If you want to watch, if you're visual you like watching videos and we have a youtube channel which is called speaking at work so much content there really again lots of value and if you're interested in learning a bit more about executive presence we'll be running a free four-day challenge in september to help you develop uh, executive presence or leadership i prefer leadership presence because i feel like it it has a more feminine feel to it i feel executive has a very kind of masculine energy to it so leadership presence but in september Perfect. Thank you so much, Emma, for being here today. Absolute pleasure, Limor. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader. This is your host, Limor Bergman-Gross, and I want to encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Limor Bergman, and let me know. What do you think about the episodes? Feel free also to comment on Apple Podcasts and tell me, What do you want me to talk about? Which guests do you want me to bring? I really appreciate that and have a wonderful day.